We continue our evening sermon series tonight in the book of James. We'll be looking at the end of chapter 1, starting in verse 19 and going to the end of the chapter. So if you want to turn there, if you're looking at Pew Bible, the page is 1011. But before we read, let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing on the preached word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to hear from you tonight. We need your Spirit to work in this place. I need the Spirit's help as I preach, and we need the Spirit's help to listen. Help us to understand what it is that you are teaching us through your Word. And help us not just to be head knowledge, but to drive it down into our hearts. We ask for your blessing on this word tonight. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I only failed one exam during my time at Michigan State. It was a junior-level math class called Analysis. It was a proof-writing class, which meant that we would be given a fundamental foundational theorem, and we would be asked to prove other theorems based on that. Now, on all previous exams, my professor had given us that first theorem written down on the test. But this fateful day, I looked down in horror as the exam asked me to write down that first foundational theorem. Now remember, all the other questions were based on that first theorem. I racked my brain for the whole hour, but I couldn't think of that theorem, and so I failed. In our passage tonight, we don't have a fundamental theorem, but I do think we have a foundational theme. That theme is the Word. If we don't understand what James is saying when he means, what he means by the Word, we won't understand what he means when he tells us how to hear and do it. So we will begin tonight by defining what James means by the Word. Then we will look at verses 19 through 21, 
where James shows us three marks of a good hearer of the word. In verses 22 through 25, we will consider the difference between a hearer and a doer. And in closing, we will look at verses 26 and 27, where James summarizes what a doer does. Again, we will look at what James means by the word, the three marks of a good hearer of the word, the difference between a hearer and a doer, and we will close by considering what a doer does. So what does James mean by the word? First of all, the word is the gospel. We back up to verse 18. We see that God, quote, brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. We find similar language in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where Paul equates the word of truth with the gospel of our salvation. If you are a Christian tonight, you are so, because at some point you either heard or read this word of truth, the gospel, and believed. This word is how we begin our life as Christians. How else does James describe the word? In verse 21, James refers to the word as the implanted word. The term implanted is a gardening term, and we see this metaphor widely used throughout the scriptures to describe the fruitfulness of the word. Jesus uses it in Mark 4 in the parable of the sower to show that when the word is sown on good soil, the result is fruitfulness. Verse 20 of Mark 4 says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. You see, the word that James is talking about is not only how we begin our lives as Christians, but it is the means by which we grow and bear fruit. We find the final clue to flesh out James's understanding of the word in verse 25. Here he interchanges the word law for the term word. James clearly sees the word as something to obey. That's why he calls it the law. This interchanging of word and law harkens back to Psalm 119, where the psalmist speaks of God's precepts, commandments, statutes, and word all in the same breath. Putting it all together, when James speaks of the word, he has in mind the good news of the gospel which we begin our life as Christians, the source of our growth as Christians, and the law that we are to obey as Christians. James speaks of God's word, which we find in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. This word is the Bible. So what does James have to tell us about this word? Well, in verses 19 through 21, James gives us three characteristics of a good hearer of the word. He introduces us to this idea by way of a proverb. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Taken by itself, this proverb provides sound wisdom as we think about how we relate to one another. 
It would do us good to be quicker to hear our brothers and sisters and understand what they think. It would be, do us good to hold our tongues long enough that we really understand why they think what they think. And it would certainly do us good to be slower to anger with our friends, our family, our roommates, our fellow believers. After all, James tells us that human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. This is all true, but that's not James's main point here in this passage. We find his purpose in the next verse, in verse 21. Therefore, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You see, the main command, and James's main concern, is that we receive with meekness the word of God. Now, how do we do that? We do that by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. These are the three marks of a good hearer of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, are you quick to hear the word? Do you seek out opportunities to hear the word read and preached? Are you faithful in your devotions, daily seeking to hear what your Heavenly Father has to say to you? Many of you in this room and live streaming tonight are good examples of being quick to hear the word. You love your time reading scripture each morning. You bring the word to bear in your family life through family worship. You even, some of you, like listening to sermons on your commute to work or while you're in the shower, seeking eagerly to spend all your time bathing in the word. Some of you here tonight, though, have a different experience. You see the importance of the word and see the wisdom of reading your Bible daily. But when you open your eyes in the morning, your mind is drawn to check the news or to hit that sweet, sweet snooze button. You tell yourself that even if you did get up to open scripture, your heart wouldn't be in it. And so to do so would be inauthentic and ineffective. Brothers and sisters, do not believe that lie. The best way for you to grow in your desire for God's word is to read it. I'll say that again. The best way for you to grow in your desire for God's word is to read it. Put yourself in the way of God's word, even when your heart isn't in it, and God will use it to change you. The meek here is not only quick to hear, they are also slow to speak. The kind of hearing James is advocating for deals not only with the quantity of time we spend in God's word, but also how we approach to reading, our reading and hearing of it. Before I started as an intern here, I taught middle school band as a student teacher. As you might imagine, when you have 77th graders each holding an instrument that is designed to make noise, classroom management is difficult. I quickly noticed that students' behavior correlated to how far they were from the teacher. My flute and clarinet players sitting right in front of me were angels. When you got back to the trombones, 
or the trumpets in the back, well, trumpets were worn as hats and trombones were spears. I would be teaching the class about the wonders of the B-flat blues, but there would be trombone players in the back chatting about video games, bragging about the castle built in Minecraft or how many kills they got in Fortnite the night before. One of my classroom management strategies was to stop what I was saying and ask the offending student, hey, Carson, do you want to teach the class? I only had one student take me up on the offer, and he didn't last very long. When you approach the word of God, are you a flutist or a trombonist? Are you like my flute players, quietly seeking to understand what your teacher, in your case, your Heavenly Father, has to say to you? Or are you like the back row trombonist, thinking that what you have to say is more important? This could be more subtle than blatantly ignoring or contradicting Scripture. If you read a passage once and immediately think that you know what it says, you're probably wrong. Being slow to speak means that we take the time to consider the context, the audience, and the genre of the text we are reading. We humbly acknowledge that our first impression is not always right and patiently seek to understand what it is God is actually communicating to us. This takes time. But know that James does not tell us to be silent either. The command is to be slow to speak, not to never speak. We should not stay on the fence of every issue of doctrine, but neither should we jump into convictions that we read into God's word. The third mark of a good hearer of the word is a slowness to anger. In order to know how to be slow to anger, we must first identify what it means to be angry with God's word. For the non-Christian, there are many things about God's word that provoke anger. For example, when I was studying trombone at Michigan State, I played a piece that was titled Children of Jericho. The title seems innocent enough until you realize that the composer has dedicated the piece as a memorial to what he saw as the genocide of Children of Jericho by the Israelites. There are many people in this culture that would point to the Bible's sexual ethic as a reason to be angry at the word. But most of us here tonight are content singing Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and believe that the Bible's sexual ethic is a good thing. So what is in danger of making us angry? Why does James encourage Christians to be slow to anger with the word? I want to consider two situations where we might be prone to be angry at God's word. The first is simple. God's word teaches us that we are sinners. In our passage tonight, the word is compared to a mirror. The implication is that we look into it and it reveals back to us who we really are. Warts and all, sin and all. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
It is easy for us to like the teaching of the word and being trained in righteousness, but scripture also reproves and corrects. How many of us like it when somebody tells us we do something wrong? But when scripture confronts you with your sin, how do you react? Do you become defensive, reacting in anger? Or do you see it as your father's loving correction in your life? A good hearer of the word receives the word with meekness even when you don't want to hear it. The second situation where we tend to get angry with the word is when it confronts us with difficult doctrines. James begins this letter exhorting us to count it all joy when we meet trials in our lives. When trials are only hypothetical, it is easy for us to think about the hypothetical benefits of them. When trials are behind us, we can often look back and see how God was using those to strengthen our faith. But when you are in the midst of trial and pain and suffering that you feel is fresh, it is all too easy to look with disdain at a command to count it all joy. It's easy to get angry. It's when these difficult doctrines in the Bible meet with difficult providences in our lives that we must be slow to anger with the word. Are you an angry hearer? If so, humble yourself before God and ask him to help you trust and meekly receive his word. James ends this section by reminding us why we are to receive the word with meekness. We are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the implanted word is able to save our souls if we let it. In verses 19 through 21, James establishes what it means to be a good hearer of the word. He then continues his argument in verse 22, saying, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We see two categories here. There are hearers, and there are doers. James wants us to be doers we will first look at what is in common between hearers and doers, and we'll look at what makes them different. The hearer and the doer have one key thing in common. They are both hearers. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. This implies that the doer is first a hearer. Importantly, though, this also means that the hearer is a hearer. James has in mind here two categories of people who are both quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Both the hearer and the doer may receive with meekness the implanted word. We see this in an analogy James uses in verses 23 through 25. Both the hearer and the doer look into the mirror of God's perfect law. So what is the difference, then, between the hearer and the doer? Let's look carefully at the analogy in verses 23 through 25. 
I'll read it again. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, the difference is not in the looking, it is in the response to the looking. The hearer studies himself in the mirror, but when he goes away, what does he do? He forgets. The doer, on the other hand, responds differently. When he looks into the mirror of God's law, he perseveres, and so he acts. The hearer forgets, the doer perseveres. One of these is easier than the others. Forgetting is easy. My dad is often fond of saying that his mind is a steel trap, but his steel trap and ours are often rusty. You may come to church each Sunday morning and evening and sit under the preached word, but how often do you recall those sermons throughout your week? You may even read your Bible each morning, but how often do you think about what you read throughout the day? It is easy to forget as the busyness of life takes over. Now, forgetting can be intentional when Scripture gives us a reproof or correction that we don't want to hear, and we intentionally forget. But I think more often than not, our forgetting is just a result of the rustiness of our steel traps. So how can we remember? One way that we can remember is something I've seen many of you in the congregation do already, and that's taking notes from the sermon. Uh, I recently started up this practice because I've seen a lot of you do it, and it's been a great help to me. Uh, as Carol McAlvey walked in today, uh, she said that this was her practice, that uh, I would be in her mind each day this week because she takes notes of the sermon and uses them in her daily devotions each morning. It's a simple way to remind yourself what God was teaching you in the Word on Sunday. I would encourage you to do it. Another way we can remember is by memorizing Scripture. There are many ways to go about memorizing Scripture, but I want to provide you with one that I stole from our counseling director, Pat Quinn. What he does, and what you could do, is when you are doing your daily devotions each morning, identify a verse or two or three that you'd like to memorize throughout the day. Simply write it on a note card, stick it in your pocket, and when you have downtime throughout the day, whether it's a lunch break or you're heading to the bathroom, instead of looking at your phone, take out the note card and start memorizing. You have to figure out what works for you, but if you're not memorizing scripture, this would be a good way to start. Where forgetting is easy, perseverance requires effort. 
What does it look like for the doer to persevere? Simply put, a doer's perseverance results in action. When a doer hears a sermon on stewardship and becomes convinced by God's word that he should be giving more to the church, he takes action. He prays about it throughout the week, he consults his spouse to talk about it, and then he gives accordingly. When you hear a sermon about the importance of prayer in the Christian's life and praying for all kinds of people, the doer puts that into action and prays accordingly throughout the week. A doer remembers what they were convicted of on Sunday morning. Not just on Sunday mornings when the preacher is preaching, but in the ordinary everyday things of life. This is what perseverance looks like. So brothers and sisters, are you a hearer or a doer? Or perhaps more correctly, are you only a hearer or are you also a doer? James gives a warning to the hearer and provides a promise to the doer. James warns us that being merely a hearer is deceptive. In verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Only hearing the word, but not doing it, is a dangerous deception. James puts this more bluntly in verse 26, where he says, If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless. This is a warning to some of you. You can deceive yourself about the genuineness of your faith by going to church each morning and reading your Bible, or going to church each Sunday and reading your Bible each morning. Those things are good, don't get me wrong but they only make you a hearer of the word. The Christian life is marked by walking in obedience to God's word, not as a way to earn our salvation and not by our own power, but as a sign of the new life that we have in Christ. Christ's life was marked by obedience, and so ours as Christians must be too. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, tells us that Christ, being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is on the basis of Christ's obedience, and not ours, that we are saved. Yet, if we are united to Christ, the fruit of that union is obedience. Obedience is the natural result. Now, we won't obey perfectly in this life, but you must ask yourself whether you truly are seeking to obey God's word, whether you are content to merely hear it. As Pastor Jason reminded us last week, our faith has feet. Our text tonight also includes a promise of blessing if we act in accordance with God's law. 
We don't obey out of a blind duty to a harsh master. James earlier describes our master as the father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, and who gives us every good and perfect gift from above. Furthermore, James describes the law that we are to obey as the perfect law and the law of liberty. This is the law we are called to obey, one that gives us the freedom to live as we were called to live. God does not give arbitrary rules. He tells us how we ought to live because he knows what is best for us. If we do the word, we will be blessed in our doing. If we truly understand the importance of the word in our lives, it will become easier for us to do it. Imagine you wake up tomorrow morning and you've lost all sense of touch. You can't feel your silky sheets or your fuzzy slippers. So you go to your doctor, and after examining you, they tell you, I know exactly what's wrong with you. All you have to do is take this pill once a day for a week. Do you think you'd remember to take that pill? If we trust our human doctors to know what is good for us, how much more can we trust the great physician, our Heavenly Father? He knows exactly what is wrong for us because he created us. And what he has prescribed for us is his word. If we do it, he will be blessed. To close our passage, James gives us specific examples of what a doer of the word does. In verse 27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's look briefly at James's two examples. First, a doer of the word visits orphans and widows in their affliction. As Christians, we share both the afflictions and the comfort of Christ. We comfort others out of an abundance of the comfort that we receive. Now, note that James doesn't say that true religion is caring about orphans and widows and their affliction. Rather, true religion is visiting those in their affliction. It's an action. I'm confident that everyone in this room cares about those going through trials. But ask yourself... When was the last time that you actually did something for those in their affliction? In James' second example, the doer of the word keeps himself unstained from the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Christians are meant to be holy. This is clear throughout all scripture. But, in light of this passage, we must ask ourselves, what are we doing to pursue holiness? What are you doing to keep yourself unstained from the world? In what areas has God convicted you of your sin? And what are you doing about it? If you're not doing anything about it, how could you start this week? 
Brothers and sisters, in order to be doers of the word, we must first be hearers of it. This is where we must start. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Receive with meekness the implanted word. But we must not be hearers only, we must be doers also. This is not just James's message. It is the message of our Savior as well. To close, we'll look at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Jesus says there, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The words of all of scripture are the words of Christ. Will you hear and obey them, or will you forget? Are you a doer, or are you just a hearer? When the rains, floods, and winds come, will your house be built on the rock or on the sand? Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the gift of your word. Would you help us more and more to realize the importance of it in our lives? May we be quick to hear it. May we be slow to speak. May we be slow to anger. Would you help us to actually do the things that your word says? We know we can't do this on uh, on our power, but we need your power to do it. Would you fill us with your spirit so that we might be able to live as we ought? Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.